Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 3. It's page 1118 in your Pew Bible. Page 1118. I have printed in the bulletin the text of Romans 3 20 through 26, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 19 and read through 26. The best reason to give thanks, let us read the word of the Lord. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. I'd like to draw from this three points this morning. Be alarmed at the bad news. Be thankful for the good news. Be amazed at the beauty of his grace. Let us pray. Father, as we look this morning into your word and as we prepare for a holiday where we give thanks, we do not want to be ungrateful for anything. And we certainly want to be aware of your mercy and grace toward us. And for that, we must be deeply, truly, sincerely thankful. Help us to find help from your word this morning. Help us to be reminded of all that you have done. Amen. Every Thanksgiving, we hear sermons all across America, or we can find recordings of sermons all across America of pastors who focus in on this holiday of Thanksgiving. And as long as they draw it from Scripture, because that's what the church is meant to do, as long as they draw it from Scripture, there's nothing wrong with it. But too often they get a little too mushy, a little too sentimental. They don't really draw it from Scripture. Very often they get a little sentimental, and they use examples to kind of touch the hearts of people they preach to. As an example, what does it mean to be truly thankful? We very often complain about life and everything that we have. But then you look at these examples. The husband who complains when dinner is not on time, but that just means that he is home with his wife 
and not with someone else. A teenager complains about having to do the dishes, but that means he or she is at home and not on the streets. I complain about taxes, the taxes I pay, but I forget that it means I'm employed. Some complain about the clothes that fit too snug because it means that they have enough to eat. You see the examples of the things that preachers sometimes use about how we are ungrateful or unthankful. I don't want to call them trivial things, but there is something greater, something deeper we need to be thankful for. What does it mean to be truly thankful? I contend that we very often misunderstand its meaning. We shortchange ourselves. We need to see that there is some wisdom in our scripture passage to remember, to draw from, to understand. Be alarmed at the bad news. Be thankful for the good news. Be amazed at the beauty of his grace. To be truly thankful means that we must understand what we truly should be thankful about. What do we have now? I'm speaking to Christians, believers, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. What do we have now that we would not have had someone not given it to us? Looking at our text, Romans 3.19, the Apostle Paul is talking about the importance of the law. Why was it given? Verse 19 says, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. Have you ever had someone ask, I know you have, someone come up to you and says, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which do you want first? That's almost exactly what's going on here. The Apostle Paul is saying, I have some bad news and I have some good news. But he's going to give you the bad news first. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law of God does some very marvelous things. We need to be alarmed about the law of God because... Well, let me explain... We glean from Scripture some uses about the law. First of all, the law of God reveals God's perfect righteousness and our great lack of righteousness. It reveals what God requires if we are to have fellowship with him, and that is perfect obedience, spotless record, clean slate. And none of us have that. None of us can attain it. None of us can acquire that. 
St. Augustine once wrote, The law bids us, as we try to fulfill its requirements and become wearied in our weakness under it, to know how to ask the help of grace. The law shows us what we cannot attain or acquire according to God's standards, so we must ask for grace. The law gives us some bad news. This is how weak you are. This is how inadequate you are. This is how sinful you are. There is also a second use of the law. We could call that the civil use. It, has, it restrains evil. This is what the prophet Moses called balancing the scales of justice. When scripture calls for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he was really limiting how far you can go because you and I know that when we get angry, when we've been offended, we want our pound of flesh. We want to go even further. But God gave Moses instructions require no more than what has been lost. You have a right to demand to be made whole if you have been offended, but no more. The law of God reveals everything that is wrong. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That should kind of prick our hearts just a little bit. Because we don't like to think of it. It makes us comfortable. The law of God reveals our guilt. It reveals our offenses. It exposes our shame. That's the bad news. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Some of us get in our minds that we are the ones that have been offended. We are the ones that have been abused. We are the ones that deserve justice. But come that final judgment day, God's going to say, you're not allowed to point your finger at anyone else. Let's deal with your sin. Let's deal with your offense. God says, everyone's a sinner. He will deal the sins with the sins and offenses of others, just like he will deal with the sins and offenses of everyone who does not believe. Every sinner, everyone who takes breath, must hold themselves accountable to God. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law 
exposes our wrong, our error, our failure every single time. So we cannot really do anything to make it right. We can never be good enough. We can never be perfect enough. We can never even worship him well enough in our own strength and by our own effort unless we have his grace and mercy. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. That's the good news. We cannot restore the perfection lost because of sin. You must not ignore the bad news. You must not ignore the bad news. It will not go away. There are those in the American pulpits and in the church today who say all we need to do for the gospel is love people. We don't need to expose their sin. We don't need to make them feel bad or ashamed or embarrassed. I could agree with them in in theory, we don't need to expose their sin because the law of God exposes their sin. We need to preach the law of God. We need to preach the truth of Scripture. We need to preach the bad news and let the Holy Spirit expose their sin. I don't know what kind of secret private sins anyone in this room is dealing with, but the Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit is going to expose that in your own heart, in your own mind, and it's going to make you Lord, what do I do with this? You run to Jesus. You need to be alarmed about the bad news. When the Holy Spirit and the Word of God exposes your sin, said, this is not right. In the eyes of God, this is wrong. This is an offense that must be dealt with. Or these are offenses that must be dealt with. You're going to have to deal with it between you and his word and the Lord. You must deal with it. The Holy Spirit and his word has brought it there to alarm you, to shock you, to wake you up. August 12, 1985, Japanese airline flight 123. took off from an airport in Japan in less than 30 minutes crashed into the side of a mountain. 520 out of 524 passengers perished. There were only four survivors. And when they examined the wreckage, they understood when they listened to the flight recorders, they examined the wreckage, and they finally realized what had happened. Once they got airborne and once they got up to altitude, something in the back of the plane blew up, burst open, and they weren't sure what happened. They just lost pressure, and they lost control of the airplane. When air traffic, when they finally got to where they could ex examine everything that was going on. They looked back in the records of the maintenance of that aircraft. And several years before then, on takeoff, a pilot 
made an error, pulled back on the yoke too much. The plane had what they call a tail strike. The back end of the plane dragged on the ground before it got airborne. And it stressed the bulkhead in the back of that airplane, right underneath the tail section. Oh, they repaired it. The technician that repaired it was supposed to put a double row of rivets when he patched that plane back together, but he only put one row of rivets. And after over 5,000 takeoffs and landings, expanding under pressure and then contracting it, that finally ruptured like a balloon and doomed the flight. And I remember hearing about hearing this report and they said when they found this in the examinations, they were alarmed that this was missed. It was tragic that something like this happened, but and it is tragic when we commit sins before God. Because they are destructive, they are eternally devastating. We need to be alarmed about our sin. We need to be alarmed about the law of God who that exposes our sin. And may I say, we should sense some shame. Shame is a dirty word these days, but shame is healthy to a certain extent. You must not ignore shame. You must do your best to do things that do not bring you shame. Be alarmed at the bad news. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Some of you are familiar with the name John Newton. If you're not familiar with the name, it sounds familiar. This is the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, among many other hymns. Some of you may also know that John Newton, before he became a minister of the gospel, was a slave trader. Reading his own biography, he describes how he would abuse some of those slaves on the voyages across the Atlantic. He was not a nice person until the Holy Spirit and the law of God caught a hold of his heart and convicted him of his sin and changed him. He became alarmed at his sin. He became alarmed at the bad news and feared for his eternal soul. He wrote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but I still am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Although my memories fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. He became very alarmed at the bad news, and then became very excited and thankful for the good news. Be thankful for the good news. Verse 21, 
Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. For the law of the prophets bear witness to it. I changed the word. I don't like the ESV translation of that word. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. For the law, of, law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. This is a verse where I see the Apostle Paul talking about the bad news and the good news. The righteousness of God, which is exemplified in the law of God, the requirement of that righteousness stands apart. Okay, you've got the righteousness of God over here, and then the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus over here. Side by side, one shows you it's righteous, it is good, but it's bad news because we cannot acquire it, we cannot attain it, we cannot earn it. We cannot do it faithfully enough to gain any righteousness before God. So that's, in a sense, bad news. But the good news is that Christ has provided it for us. Righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. It's given. It's not earned. It's not purchased. It's given. When he says there is no distinction, you can try as hard as you want to. You're not going to merit any. You're a sinner. You can try and offer any excuse you want to for the sins that you commit. It doesn't matter. You're a sinner. You can try any excuse you want to for saying how good you have been and how faithful you have been or how much money you have given or how many people you have helped. does not matter. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are justified only by his grace, and that grace is given as a gift. Be thankful for the good news. Do you know what salvation is about? Well, I get to go to heaven. Salvation means that because of Christ, salvation means that because of Christ, you, sinner, are made righteous. It means that you, in the eyes of God the Father, are made perfect. Pure, without sin. Isn't that amazing? That's why John Newton called it amazing grace. It is a gift given freely because of grace and we receive it through faith. All we need to do is believe what God has said. 
And I'm amazed even at the beauty of that little simple point because that is where man failed in the garden. He would not believe what God said. God said, don't eat of this or you will die. They believed the lie of the serpent. They denied God was telling the truth. And here for salvation, all you need to do is believe that Christ provides righteousness. And you receive the gift. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption of Christ Jesus. When you are justified, as I said before, you are made righteous, perfect, pure, without sin. Thursday and Friday, I had to ride up to Bristol, Tennessee for a presbytery meeting. My brother, elder brother, went along with me. As, as a guest to Presbytery, he's not in our denomination, but I wanted to spend some time with him. If you recall us praying for him last year, he's, he lost his wife and brother-in-law. Brother-in-law died Christmas Day. His wife passed away the very next day, and he is still grieving. And we grew up believers. And he's nine years my senior. He was asking me, Dave, I don't understand when I struggle with sin, do I, need, do I need to keep confessing it? And I had to reassure him. Confession is always good. But for the Christian, we need to understand that our guilt is no more. That we stand before God because of what Christ has done. We stand before God dressed in the righteous robes of Christ. That has been our gift. That has been our good news. We stand before God sinless. No more shame. It has all been taken away. The evidence has been lost. Come Judgment Day for each and every one of you who believe Christ as Lord and Savior. And God opens the book where all sins shall be revealed, where all people will be held accountable. It's going to come to your name. and see the name of Christ the Savior. I see no evidence against you. You are accepted in the beloved. That's why theologians, when they talk about Romans chapter 8 and 9, they say that it is forensic salvation. The evidence is gone. It's taken away, expunged. No more. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Big word. We've talked about this before, but it's always good to review. Propitiation in the Greek is a word hilasterion. When the ancient scholars in Alexandria translated the Old Testament Hebrew into the Greek language, writing what was known as the Septuagint, when they came to Leviticus and, and Exodus, when, when God was giving instruction about the ark, the lid on that ark, the top of that ark was called the mercy seat. In the Greek, when they described the lid of that ark, they used the word hilasterion. When the Old Testament priest would prepare the sacrifice, he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would crawl on his hands and feet because he was not allowed to look up at the presence of God. He would push that basin of blood from the sacrifice before him. And when he got before the altar, before the Ark of the Covenant, he would dip his finger and seven times sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Remember, Hebrews teaches us that the law of God was held. The tablets of the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament law of God, were kept in that Ark of the Covenant. God, who was offended by the sins of man, looked down upon that blood properly offered and said, I am satisfied with the sacrifice. God put forward as a propitiation, a satisfaction. The requirement of the mercy seat by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what is received by faith. This was to show not our righteousness or our goodness. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, in his patience, he passed over your former sins. And here's something wonderful. He passes over your future sins as well. Be alarmed at the bad news, but be thankful for the good news. Be amazed at the beauty of his grace. The word propitiation carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction. Specifically, satisfaction toward God. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an, of an offended person and, being, and also being reconciled to him. We are not just out from under his wrath, out from under his anger, we are received into fellowship with him. We are made one with him. God requires satisfaction, according to A.H. Strong. God requires satisfaction because he is holy. But he makes satisfaction because 
He is love. His law requires righteousness, but he provides that righteousness in his son. He is the offended sovereign. We are the lawbreakers. We cannot do anything to appease his wrath or our requirement. He provides it for us. You remember the account of Genesis 22. God required Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, the one he had waited his whole life for, take him to Mount Moriah, offer him as a sacrifice. And as they prepared to go, Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father, and Abraham said, Here I am, son. Look, there's fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went off together. What wonderful prophetic words that God would provide a lamb. God called Abraham to do this in order that we might have a picture of what God himself did for us through his son. Be alarmed at the bad news. Be thankful for the good news. Be amazed at the beauty of his grace. So it's not just heaven. Oh, it's heaven, but it's not just heaven. He, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin for you. That you might become the righteousness of God in him. Be amazed at the beauty of his grace. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, for reasons for thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for, and yet you continue even more and more through your word and through your grace and through your mercy forever and ever. Help us, Father, to be eternally yours. Help us to be amazed at your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we continue to